You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival, running Thursday, July 11th through Sunday, July 14th at Picturesque Birds Hill Park. Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Elves, host of Thank God It's Free Range, and this episode spotlights Sarah Shook and the Disarmers. Shook and the Disarmers, a blend of influences of punk and blues and roots. She draws from the likes of the Sex Pistols and Hank Williams with equal aplomb. Sarah Shook and the Disarmers will be performing at Big Blue Stem on Sunday, July 14th at 4.15 p.m. For the full lineup, a complete list of set times to purchase tickets, and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca. All right, well, coming to Birds Hill Park to play the Winnipeg Folk Festival this summer, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers. And Sarah Shook joins us by phone right now. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well and excited to uh, have you on the uh, the bill for the Folk Fest this year. Uh, lots to talk about. We like to kind of introduce you to the to the audience and to the festival goers. Um, and we'd like to, you know, kind of back the train up and, and sort of start with the, how you got into music, how you got into what you're doing. And your story is a particularly interesting one because you were not raised in a house with a, a whole lot of uh, contemporary music, let's say. Correct. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like, you you were raised in a fairly strict uh, religious household where it was, you know, songs of worship and, and classical music. Did you have a sense that, there was like a world of music beyond that that you weren't allowed to listen to, but that you were super interested in, or was there like, did the discovery come later? How did that work out? Um, I was always sort of aware that uh, that world of music existed beyond this sort of veil of, uh, of isolation and seclusion. Um, And it was always, uh, it was always very fascinating to me that 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 was out there um, and, and felt, you know, remarkably close, uh, but was still sort of unattainable and untouchable at the time. Um, And it wasn't until I was in my teens and I got my first car and my first job and a little bit more of a level of independence that I I started listening to to other things. So in the car, was it the radio or did you, you know, surreptitiously buy tapes or CDs or... Um, I, I didn't really listen to much in my car. Uh, what happened was I started work my first job as a, as a cashier at a grocery store and started befriending some of my coworkers. And when they heard that I had virtually no exposure to contemporary music, they were horrified. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they started loaning me CDs and I would, I would smuggle them into my house and wait until the light in my parents' room went out, and then I'd put my headphones on and, and, uh, and start listening to this, this new music. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. It was, it was a very um, uh, pal- palpably powerful uh, set of emotions to, to begin to sort of tap into this entire world that before was completely unavailable to me. So those emotions uh, that you you were tapping into, because obviously with, with classical music, very often it's it's wordless, and and with uh, worship music, the the uh, you know obvious purposes is, is songs of praise. 
so was it kind of like the whole gamut of emotions that you just hadn't had within song that, that you were interested in? Or what was it about those songs? Uh, certainly there there was, um, I mean, the, probably the most uh, powerful emotion was just awe. And um, hearing music composed in a way that, uh, first of all, lyrically, the content, as you said, like it's so much different about like everybody's, sort of day-to-day life and their struggles and things that happened to them and how they dealt with it. Um, but the thing that, that really got me the most was just the instrumentation and, you know, hearing like fuzz guitar for the first time and having no idea what, <laughs> what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so just a lot of the um, uh, learning that there are like different beats for, you know, rock and roll music and funk music and that, um, you know, genres are typically dominated by like all of these different like rhythms and like chord patterns and structures. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was very it was very eye opening and it was it was a really cool experience. Um, and uh, it it I don't know I, I I feel like especially at that age I I probably appreciated it more than most people are able to like when you grow up on that stuff because it's just something that you've you've always kind of known and taken for granted and for me it was just like a whole new world opening up it was amazing right i was going to ask you if you know coming to it later you kind of had a more analytical brain than like a child who would have been exposed to it i think so yeah so going from those you know early cds that you're, you're listening to to then kind of coming up with your own music as i understand it you you started songwriting even before that but that you know i'm curious about around the time you decided like kind of what your musical voice was was there kind of like like a an inflection point at which you decided oh this is who i'm going to be or this is what i'm going to create well i started writing songs when i was around eight or nine and my parents had uh like an old upright piano in the hallway that really didn't serve any function other than to collect um, unopened mail <laughs> and uh, clutter and whatnot. Um, but there, I remember like sitting down at this piano and deciding that I, even though I didn't have the the words for it, I didn't, I didn't know the musical language. I didn't know what a, a chord was or a verse was or a melody was. I, I knew that if I sat down at this piano, I could figure out at, at least, like, what notes sounded good together and complemented each other. Um, and so I started writing my first songs on that piano uh, when I was nine. And when I was 16, I decided to uh, teach myself guitar and borrowed borrowed a guitar from a friend. And this was, you know, well before the days of hopping on the Internet and just watching YouTube tutorials and which is awesome, and that's like I'm, it's amazing to me that that's out there and available. Um, but at the time, I had to order a um, one of those huge posters that just has all of the chord shapes on it, mm. and just literally sit down with my guitar and like practice and work through it and memorize uh, finger positions for each chord. Um, and then I didn't start playing shows until my early twenties. Um, and at that time I had no interest or ambition at all in in starting a band or even trying to make a career of it. Uh, writing songs for me was always something that was deeply, 
personal and cathartic, um, and it was it's sort of a, a free therapy, self therapy. Um, and then um, I I started recording um, a solo project um, with a producer, which um, it ended up not working out. But I remember I will always remember him telling me like he's like your voice is so close to like being your true voice, but you still haven't found it yet. And it's not a matter of trying to emulate anything or anyone. It's just this voice that's in you. You'll find it. And when you do, it'll it'll make sense. And then it's like riding a bike. You won't be able to lose it, that, that knowledge. Um, and it, it wasn't until years later uh, when I started my first band, Sarah Shook and the Devil, um, and we started like getting into like that old school country stuff um, where like uh, you know our our inspiration wasn't any kind of modern country. It was all the kind of classics like George Jones and Kitty Wells, Wanda Jackson, Hank Williams Sr., Charlie Pride. Um, and so it wasn't until I started playing with a band that I really found that voice. And I think part of it uh, was simply due to the fact that because I had more volume coming from the stage around me like I I had to I had to sing louder and so it's like I had to adapt and I think that's when that voice really started coming out Mm -hmm. now you mentioned that first group was called Sarah Shook and the Devil was that like kind of a reactionary thing to being raised in a super religious home or what was that I mean not not lyrically per se but I, I definitely chose that name to kind of poke fun at my parents a little and uh you know they took it like the joke that it was meant to be and it was just something we all kind of laughed about. So then you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, figuring out on the piano kind of what notes sounded good beside each other. And was it kind of the similar thing with the guitar? Like once you, you know, learned all the tabs, like you were trying to figure out kind of what chord changes worked on a guitar or did you kind of have a sense of that from the piano? I think I had a sense of it from the piano and I think that the reason that I was able to do that at like a pretty young age was in part because of listening to so much classical music. Um, Because again, like you said, like a lot of that is instrumental. There's no lyrics, there's no singing. And so the focus is very much on uh, melodies and uh, dynamic like the use of dynamics where, you know, the orchestra gets huge and really, really loud and it's very ominous sounding. And then all of a sudden it, it like trickles down to like a little whisper and there's just a few stringed instruments here and there, woodwind instruments. Um, so certainly I think that growing up constantly listening to um, the way melodies work together and the way dynamics work, I think that that uh, cer- certainly helps me a lot. Mm-hmm. Did getting like because you were you were homeschooled, so you were on your own a lot of the time, as I understand it. Did did that prepare you for a life of songwriting? Because a lot of times songwriting is a very solitary and like interior pursuit. D- do you feel like that that helped in any way or or had an impact? Yeah, I I think it's kind of a maybe like a which came first, the chicken or the egg question. Because mm-hmm. you know I feel like. Um, I feel like, as with most art, it's it's a form of, it's certainly like a form of self-expression, but there is an element of escapism and an element of 
controlling your own narrative. Um, and for me, you know, as a, as a relatively shy kid um, who really didn't have friends and was, and was very isolated most of the time, um, for me, songwriting was just a way to sort of, um, like, put my thoughts and my feelings in order. And um, it's interesting because I, I never, even from that young age, I've never been a, a disciplined songwriter. I don't have, like, a time set aside each day or each week to sit down and, like, do, like, a writing session. Um, and I've never tried to force it either. Um, for me, it, it's more of a process of I, I go about my life, I collect experiences, I think about things, I observe things. And then at some point, my subconscious just, like, lines everything up. And it all comes at the same time, the melody, the lyrics, the chord progression, um, all of that just comes and out of I mean, seemingly nowhere and ultimately forms a, a finished and completed song. And, and usually it's, it's done in 15 minutes to half an hour. But it's been kind of gestating subconsciously for a while then. I think so, yeah. So the the songs on years, your most recent record. Then uh, I'm curious is it a set like is it a set period of time in which you've written those songs, or have they been gathered from you know over over the course of years, as the title implies, or you know what's yeah there there are a few songs on there that are um, that are older, just by like a couple of years, not not too far back, um, and so the the time ranges from probably two years uh, before we went in to track that record. And then, interestingly enough, the title track, Years, um, we, you know, we had been in pre-production for this album for months, and we track everything live, so we had been rehearsing like crazy to get ready to go in the, into the studio. And it's um, typically our recording process is we practice like crazy, we go in the studio for four days and we only have four days to track everything. Um, so there was, there's, you know, there has to be this certain level of preparedness just going in. Uh, and two weeks before our, our set recording dates, I had been feeling just unsettled and I was like, there's something missing and it's not, it's not right yet. It's really close, but there's something missing. And so I, I wrote years two weeks before we went into the studio to record it. And I, I contacted my, my band and I was like, guys, don't kill me, please. <laughs> but there's this song that I just wrote. And not only does it need to be on the record, like it needs to be the title track. Like this has been the missing piece that I've been waiting for. And I'm, very fortunate to have bandmates that were completely supportive and on board. And they're like, well, this is kind of crazy, but you know, I think we can do it. <laughs> and I, I think we had one, we had one practice with it. And then when we were in the studio and we had downtime, we would play with it. But I mean, that was that, that song years was, was brand new at the time, even to us. What was it about it that, made you think it had to be the title track, not only that it had to be on the record, but it was like the, the record in some sense. Um, mostly gut instinct, but listening to like all of the other songs and how 
they made sense and how they fit into the context of that album. Um, years lyrically to me was really important um, personally because it was very much coming from the place that I was in at that time where you're at the tail end of a failing relationship and you finally sort of work up the courage to, you know, look at it for what it is and say, you know, I keep, I, I'm, I'm just like hanging out waiting for things to get better and I know they're not going to get better. And it's, you know, it's not like the sort of hope that actually benefits you. It's just, you know, your, your gears are spinning and you're wasting time. Um, and yeah, just, just the combination of, of wanting, uh, wanting to sort of have that final piece of the puzzle that fit into all of the other songs, which a, a lot of the other songs are about that too, but there was sort of this air of finality um, about that song that I felt like the record really needed. And then to, and then to put that song last uh, from a strategic point of view, like that was just like the icing on the cake. It's like, okay, now this contextually all makes sense to me. Does that kind of like put a period on, uh, on the end of that sentence of that, that album and then, that allows you to start fresh with, with a, with a new record that it's entirely a blank page at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you noticed, like, have you written songs subsequently and have you noticed like a, a distinct difference with the songs that you're writing now versus, you know, finishing years and, and kind of that, that looking back period? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in a dry spell right now, which is like, I mean, it's always kind of a bummer, but, it, you know, it, it's not, like I said, it's, songwriting isn't something that I'd force or even probably could force if I wanted to. Um, so it's just a matter of being patient and waiting. Um, I wrote a, a pretty sizable batch of songs after, like, very shortly after um, Years was released. And it's interesting, like, going through the, the process of ending a relationship that that had been going on for for far longer than necessary um, and then sort of looking back at these patterns in my life of uh, repeated mistakes and trying to analyze my my motives and like why do I always get stuck in these cycles why do I always you know do this and this and this um, and so there was a, a lot of time that I spent um, that was very introspective, uh, sort of, sort of, you know, with the hopes of of learning something from from the past and and using the past and the the patterns and decisions that I had made to sort of strengthen my resolve to not get stuck in those cycles again. Um, and it was it was really it was a very healthy thing, and it was a very uh, mentally and emotionally it was a very very freeing thing. Um, and I, I, I certainly feel like this, this next batch of songs, um, and the, the, that a lot of which will be on the upcoming album, um, there is so much of an element of freedom and um, just like confidence and, and calmness, just like in a, from a very centered place. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's really important because I feel like your art really reflects who you are as a person. 
And to me, that's, that's very motivating and very inspiring to constantly be working on myself just as an individual human being. And, you know, also knowing that that goes hand in hand with your art improving and your art becoming more and more honest and more real um, and hopefully encouraging to other people, too, who get trapped in these same cycles because it's, it's a very common human condition. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned that songwriting can kind of be free therapy uh, for you. Does, do your songs ever surprise you with what they're telling you about yourself? Like, do you, do you look at your song and say, oh, wow, I wasn't really conscious of that. But now that I read it through this sort of like metaphor or through, through this processing, I get, I get myself in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even like looking one album back to our, our first record sidelong, um, just all of, it's funny because it's like you, you grow as a person and then you, you look back like a few years and you're like, Oh my gosh, like I would never do that now. But like, at the time, it made sense. Um, but there are a lot of themes um, in inside Long that where I'm at right now, I can look at and recognize and be like, oh, there's, I've, I've substantially grown because I can look back at that and be like, I, you know, I wouldn't be that way um, or I wouldn't make that call this time around, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, you me- you mentioned the next record. D- is there kind of like a firm date on when it'll be out, or is it kind of like still nebulous? It's still a little nebulous. Um, I've been pushing really hard uh, to to get dates set and to get studio time on the books because um, I I just feel like that's a having having dates like that is a very strong and good motivator. Uh, to get our ourselves together and, and get the songs prepared. Um, we've we've had a few practices. Um, some of the songs are really, really close uh, as far as um, the arrangements and where we want the solos and things like that. Uh, but it's it's just it's um, we're having to adapt to a, a kind of different uh, pre-production lifestyle, I guess. Uh, when we went into the studio to record Sidelong, you know, we weren't playing 150 shows a year. Like, we we were home a lot. We had practice once a week. Um, there was a sort of um, ability to be laid back and uh, sort of lackadaisical about our schedule. Mm. Um, and now it's like we're, we're touring. We're on the road, like, 150 days a year. So finding the time when we're home to practice can be, it can be difficult. You know, if you've been gone for two or three weeks, when you get home, you want to spend time with your family and your kids and the people that you love. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a very intense and, and rigorous schedule. Um, and you know, like even when we're not on tour, when we're home, we're, we're working and, um, trying to trying to get everything set up and, and uh, all of our ducks in a row for the next record. Do you do you road test your songs? Like, will you be playing any of the new stuff when you come to the festival, or is that do you kind of sit on things and just practice them till they're ready? Yeah, we're at, at this point. I think we're just kind of sitting on things and, and uh, practicing till they're uh, till they're up to snuff. <laughs> sure enough, uh, Sarah. Before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off years that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about the song, I'd love to hear that. 
Oh, uh, lesson lesson would be a great song. Um, I like that song because uh, I wrote it kind of in the midst of um, an argument with an ex, and even though we were having this disagreement, there was this thing that was very felt very validating and very hopeful. It's like even if this doesn't work out, and even if this is not like the person that I'm supposed to be with. I can still learn something from it and I can still take something from it and, and use that to, to better myself and, and go from there. All right. Well, we'll give that one a listen. Uh, Sarah, really looking forward to seeing you at the Winnipeg Folk Festival and, and thanks for taking some time to, to talk today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Michael Ells, and you've been listening to a special podcast spotlighting Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, who will be performing on Sunday, July 14th at 4.15 p.m. at Big Blue Stem at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com, and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event, running July 11th through 14th at Birds Hill Park. <laughs>